0: Hey guys, um, we're back again with another local heroes, and we're sitting here today with Mr. Adam Baldwin. Welcome to the show, Adam Hey, mate. Nice to meet you finally, yeah, yeah, we've been chatting back and forth online, obviously, and I've been watching you from afar, so to speak, and really loving what you're doing and So when I was over in the states, mentioned that we'd get together and I'm here for a few days and then I'm heading back up north up to Cairns for a few months, so we're just packing, badly packing and putting things away again and we're going to be up north for a while. Just squeezed
1: in a little podcast with you this RV, which is awesome. No, I really appreciate it. Um, won't you have, you'll be praying for some cyclone swell to come through and dodge the crocs while you're up there,
0: get a few waves, you reckon? Yeah, mate. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some little secret spots up that um, definitely catch some swell when you get that little bit of height mm. um, over the reef, the water raising up over the reef and we really get some good waves out there. So, yeah, it'd be exciting. And I, I heard there
1: is a bit of bit of swell generating over in New Caledonia. I think there's a cyclone. Yeah, there's a, a Category 2 sitting something like 1,000. It's moving towards the coast at the moment, but it's over a 1,000 kilometres away at the moment. This time of year is the time of year where, yeah, you'll definitely get
0: some cyclone swell. And actually, now that I think about it, I probably should take a, a couple of boards up. It'll be hard to find blanks up there. Yeah, yeah, I've got a few friends up there. Yeah, no, nah, I probably should take a board just to be safe. <laughs> you'd be crazy if you didn't yeah so adam i guess what caught my attention on your instagram and sort of what you've been putting out is and and what i'm really interested in is the fact that you've been making surfboards from either recycled materials or or laminating materials together so essentially throwaway materials stuff left over that people would generally send to the tip is what you've been building surfboards out of so that's pretty exciting so where did that where did you
1: sort of get the idea or the motivation to start doing that it kind of comes from the fact that I feel guilty spending money on things but also it, when I started having some success and being able to create things that I felt felt as good under my feet as any of the boards that i would had before and now were coming from materials that essentially they're destined for the tip was kind of a really good feeling and it made me feel less guilty about one, what I was producing and what I was wasting because every piece as much now I've really committed to the fact that even the leggy plugs, even the, um, the FCS twos that I've salvaged a bunch of FCS twos out of broken boards, futures plugs. I haven't used any futures yet, but I've done a few boards now with, um, salvaged FCS two plugs and, with a little bit of aesthetic issues where they're not quite as pretty because you have to route out rather than have the sand flat sort of lip. I've been working on ways to make that better and better. But back to the original thing, it feels good to produce something when you know that what you're making it out of is 100% rubbish. And I know that might sound really hippie and silly, but you know the fact is that The surfboard industry is an industry based on enjoying nature and so much of it is based on products that are really harmful and I don't disrespect anyone for doing what they have to do. And I also am very aware that even though I'm making them out of rubbish, I'm still coating them in new resins, which are essentially turning them into another version of eventual landfill But the fact that they're not coming from raw, freshly refined, fresh chemicals that are mixed together, it makes me feel a little bit better about it. But I'm also very aware that it's still producing more plastic waste. But, like, every little piece we can do to reduce it has got to be better than just going, why would you bother? You could just go and buy a blank for X amount of dollars you're spending the time to do that and then it's costing you X amount of dollars to have to work with that. And then I have, you know, some people have, then you've got a substandard product, dah, dah, dah. but to be honest, the most recent one I've made with the seven bits of foam all vertically laminated together, I find that it performs as good or better because the way that a stringless EPS board can be really twitchy. Um, but the two cedar stringers and the extra vertical glue stringers tend to Stiffen give you a it up bit more control mm-hmm. in that twitchy. Doesn't give you as effect. much flex. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it tends like I first discovered that with the one I did earlier, where I had a, a two parabolic stringers, where I bent the cedar around. I just carved off like thirty mil or so from a a blank of EPS, and then put this the parabolic cedar stringers taped them in and glued them and then glued some rail offcuts of PU and that was a really good board because it tended to have that rigidity yeah and Mm. the same concept that firewire talk about Mm. with that when they originally came out with the balsa wood rails and the fact they talked about it harnessing that that twist and torsional drive Mm. yeah i spoke with old
0: steve Hannon a lot about that from etc and he's really super psyched on it and getting a lot of good results from from those EPS, because like you're saying, EPS is obviously lighter, it's more buoyant, it's obviously recyclable, so, you know, there's a lot of people using that for, for those reasons, but also, as you're saying, sometimes it can be a little bit too flexy, so if you're adding in a little bit of rigidity, whether it's through glue lines or through a parabolic stringer, you're, you're putting a little bit of stiffness back into it, so then you can sort of capture that flex but also capture all of the dynamic uses of, of EPS as well.
1: I have a little bit of an issue with the term recyclable when it comes to EPS. The reason being, I just recently saw something where um, the guys, the whaling, the guys who stopped whaling, not Greenpeace, uh, Sea Shepherd, mm-hmm. they put out something recently and said adamantly that uh, styrofoam is not recyclable. So I don't, I'm the, I personally my jury's out on that because i don't know enough about the science well but, i know that um, what's their names like
0: kelly slater and that have been using the leftover eps and compressing it and they're making pavers with mm. it and they're using it for for other means and, and um you know, i'd have to get back to, to you on that too yeah it? W- whether like, it can be reused to make another product mm. or whether it's actually can be reused to, to to make something else i'm not sure either yeah i'm not real. i'm yeah. not
1: planning to be or claiming to be an expert on it mm. but I'm a little bit hesitant with the term recyclable, Mm. like maybe um, reusable uh, reusable Mm. or repurposable Mm. or something like that. The the concept to me of recycling is to reuse it for the same product, like melting down glass bottles to make new glass bottles. Mm. And it's really just arguing semantics. But Mm. it's interesting Like when you see a lot of people talking about what they're doing and how good it is, Mm. and they'll say... That it's recyclable, but it's good to come
0: come at it with a bit of solid knowledge and information, and say, okay, it's definitely this or it's definitely that. But yeah, you you got to be hesitant to 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 make a, a statement that it's definitely recyclable. I just We should look into that actually. Yeah, I just I'm interested. Tell people yeah. to um,
1: be do your homework, do your homework, mm. and like approach the marketing slash advertising. You know that oh, greenwashing sounds like a horrible term, but You know, when they're talking about it and, you know, they're saying we're making a softboard and it's completely recyclable, you've got to have a little bit of ability to critically analyse what you're hearing and ask the questions like, is it really? How is it? What are they doing to produce it that way? Like there's those earth technology guys that are doing some great stuff where they're using like these mealworms where they're getting the actual EPS powder and then putting it into a compost bin and there's some uh, insect larva, and it's actually devouring it, pooping out organic stuff that can then go into the compost, and that that to me is recyclable. But I don't know enough about that. Mm. But they're like they're really pushing for it, and they're one of the the people that's or one of the groups that I see on Instagram and on the social media associated with surfing that really seem to be doing it legitimately, like rather than just um, yeah, and they're saying it's reduced my CO2 outputs by 30%, so therefore it's an eco board. Mm. And I'm not dissing the whole eco board movement, I think that's a, a step in the right direction. But once again, critically analyze who's really doing it properly. Mm. Like, there's a few guys, there's a company called Route One or Route One. Uh, I just heard a Surf Splendor interview with him, or no, it might have been a Kyle Tierman one. And they're really going down the avenue of alternative materials for the right reasons. And those earth technology board makers in California—they're doing it for the right reasons as well.
0: Well, I know there's a um, there's a few sort of variants of like of blank manufacturing now happening. Like there's the mushroom fungi fungi type manufacturing where they're making foam from. And I know Plazel, like John John Florence's. Um, board manufacturer has been messing with it and john john's had some under his feet and that's exciting you know to see that there is these innovative technologies there are starting to get a bit of a foothold in the industry probably like you said the traditional board manufacturers are probably trying to you know edge in on it and sort of implement like you said sustainable or environmentally sound methods but yeah i think it's already happening. We're heading down a path and it's only going to get better and improve more. And, you know, there's also people in the market now also assessing, you know, there's there's now, you know, certifications and that sort of thing that, is, that are starting to be implemented, which is all heading in the right direction. So that's all exciting stuff. But like you said, it's a matter of assessing what you're doing, being self-critical and being self-aware and saying, okay, well, how can I improve this? And every step, every board that you make improve it a little bit, improve it a little bit, and, and as you get further down the path, then all of a sudden you are making something that's a shit ton better than what it was and a whole lot better than just buying a, a traditional board. You know, and the fact that you're you're making your own boards, ev even, even that in itself is just such a joy and a pleasure. You could easily go out and spend five hundred, a thousand bucks on a on a new board. But the joy you get from shaping your own board is very hard to describe too, you know. And that, you know, like the home shaping thing is really coming back in a big way too, you know. You just didn't see that 20, 30 years ago, maybe maybe 30, 40 years ago. People were making their own boards a lot more. But there's a big big return to home manufacturing, to shed manufacturing. And, you know, the Sunny Coast I've noticed after sort of being away is it's a real epicenter for what we're talking about you know sustainable boards recyclable materials i really feel as though guys like tom wagner yourself you know steve Han. there's just a bunch of guys that are really sort of forward thinking and utilizing contemporary materials and really trying to push the boundary of of what is sustainable of what is an eco board and really sort of pushing further forward and it's
1: all exciting stuff you know it's so, quite a privilege to be in this area and be surrounded by people who are are open to looking into it, and what? I've yeah, noticed, I didn't. I didn't realize that till I was away and mm-hmm. coming back, and now I'm like, wow, I'm very grateful for for this for what we have in this area. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like, I find that people who are interested in making a difference are really open to personal communication and sharing. Like Tom Wagner came to school and talked to the kids, sat there and really talked about how that other areas like people in Taiwan and USA and um, Japan are all looking at the Sunshine Coast for, and they're looking at people like Steve, they're looking at people like Tom because they're, they have a real, well, Tom obviously has a real sort of worldwide notoriety to a certain extent. Steve's starting to really make a bit of traction, which is really exciting. But one that I, you know, I've even met, uh, Wayne Lynch recently, and he's doing stuff with Patagonia, and he um he mentioned that they're doing stuff with new blanks, new blank materials, and it may very well be something along the lines of the mushroom based uh, technologies. Foam. Yeah, but, like he was even like he and I bounced a few ideas because if you're still making a um, if you're using mushrooms to make an oil based product to still turn it into the exact same type of foam it's not really fixing the problem. But then again, you know, using rubbish to make the same things out of similar materials, which is just turning into foam and fiberglass is not really fixing the problem either. But some of the stuff that Tom's doing with, he's still using different foams, obviously, as his cause, but the fact that he's not using fiberglass Mm -hmm. on the outside, that he's managing to, you know, really work with the vacuum bagging and the different, you know, cross-grain patterns of polonia on the bottom and and you know putting together with little cork rails or little strips of polonia on the rails and yeah
0: really getting away from the the resins and and the fiberglasses. and being a, and and, us- and even like there is alternative glasses these days too you know there's like hemp cloths and like you know different carbon cloths and stuff you can get as well so getting away from synthetic fibers and getting back to natural fibers you know yeah it really is starting to open up now. Nice and that, like the, the notion of a traditional board build is shifting. And it's funny because the Hawaiians, after talking to Tom, were making boards out of timber, you know, between 400 and 1,000 years ago. And then we kind of just got stuck in this notion that this is the the way boards are. It's never going to change. It's always going to be this way. This is the best board that's possible. And now it's shifting back again mm. to, okay, what, what else can we try? What are, what other alternative materials can we try? What's more sustainable? And guess what?
1: There is other options. And there is other materials really well. and they work really well. You know? The idea of using the lanolins or the, the water-based two-packs instead of glass and just putting them over your polonia veneers, like that's just super exciting stuff. To be honest, though, that's where if I could get a decent space, I'd love to investigate that even more. Yep. For sure. Um, It's the sort of thing you'd really want to sink your teeth into.
0: Yeah. So um, I guess uh, let's just say that I am interested in this avenue of board building. I've got a little shed. I want to shape my own board, but I don't know where to get the materials from to create a blank. So where is it that you sort of derive, where do you get your materials from to get the
1: ball rolling? The building industry. The building industry? The scraps. The stuff that they throw away. Yep. to be honest, like and and getting into different, different layers of the building industry. And that I'll explain. I'm not just talking about going and raiding skip bins outside of a residential build. Don't get me wrong. I've got four cedar stringers in there, which I came from that exact process, and I've had other bits of foam that I've got from that process. But going like one level up from there, so instead of going to the house builder, go to the person who um, produces the foam, slabs for the builder and go and talk to them about their offcuts was really interesting after the last little video that a mate of mine did about the last board I actually got contacted by nothing's come of it as yet but I got contacted by a guy who's involved in a multinational electronics company and he was talking about how the fact that they go through ridiculous amounts of EPS and He was the one who, he said something about the stuff being actually really recyclable and he knew the the chemical processes of it. And as yet, he was talking about, oh, we really should investigate this further. And so I guess searching for little avenues. If you're a one-man unit, go talk to some builders. Go to them and say, where do you get your foam from for your second story rendered walls? And just start ringing around because... I know of one place where every twice a week he melts down his offcuts. And I've been, I, went, I can go on a Tuesday. I walked out of there after 10 minutes of looking through his scraps with enough foam to make two boards. And I barely made a dint in what was about to be melted down the next day. So what sort of manufacturing is that? Well, you the, you know how they do the wall panels, yeah, yeah. And instead mm. of bricking the second story of a of a house, so are they blow in the EPS like their EPS manufacturer. Bought, uh, he gets the EPS mm. as big blocks, okay. But he when he cuts cutting, it down, or yeah, when he's cutting okay. out pieces mm. that he needs for the you know window frames mm. or whatever, there's large offcuts. Yep, they might cut all the panel pieces down to certain sizes, and then they'll have the bit that's left over at the end of that slab. And it might be this, you know, relatively close to a rectangular prism that might be 40 to 60 millimeters thick. And like the the white nugget over there, that little 5'3, yep. that was two pieces of exactly that. Off comes from the bottom of this, this slab of foam. Yep. And I put the two of them together, glued them together. So, what sort of glue do you use? There's a few different foaming ones. I'll just say that. They okay. I know that Tom Wagner has spoken about. It. I'm pretty sure he said it to you. But there's mm. a foaming glue. Mm. There's several different versions of it. Yep. But there's a local guy on the coast, based out of Toowantan, mm-hmm. who um actually is the chemist responsible for coming up with the original painting for this foaming glue. Because yeah, a lot of your um with your EPS, a lot of your traditional resins and that sort of thing dissolve just eat it, need it
0: and just dissolve it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you, you really got to make sure you get the right year, which I'm sure you
1: you could find it like literally Mm. if you walk into if you can find someone at a hardware store who's not really limited in their knowledge and you just go good good luck good luck at bunnings (laughs) and if you can go to someone and just say look i I need the foaming glue the stuff that foams up Mm. and if you can either find someone there or i'm pretty sure if you just did a quick google search for foaming glue yep you'd find that's the shit yep and like there's several different brands, and pretty mm-hmm. much most of them will work. I know that if you look up Grant Newby's blog, mm-hmm. um, he mentions a specific brand that he uses, and I'm sure that Tom has got it somewhere in his um, repertoire.
0: Um, so, so the EPS is is one method of build. You, you also, I've got. Um, we're looking at some of your boards here. We've got about five or six boards out the back here. Awesome looking little shorties, and. Some 20s, a rad-looking five-foot in the egg. Um I've got some photos of them anyway, so I'll put it up on my Insta when I release the podcast so people can have a look. But you've also been building boards out of other scrap boards as well. So you delaminate like an old Malibu or something and reshape
1: from there. Yeah, and that that's nothing new. People mm-hmm. have been stripping down boards and mm-hmm. making new boards from old boards since the shortboard revolution so it is nothing new, but it it's not something that's commonly done. It does create its own limitations because you are shaping into the deck and you're moving away from the, the harder outer crust of the original blank. So you can come into some get issues. Get into a little bit with, of soft yeah, softer into areas. Softer yeah. foam, so mm. you will at times get a little bit more um deck depression. But or just if, put a deck patch in which which I've done before. Like I've got an old
0: seventies single fin it was like a brothers nielsen and it was just caught cool. the back tail of it was just smashed to pieces and it was it was not repairable back to original so i did the same thing just gutted it and and reshaped it and yeah i found that it was a little soft um in certain spots but yeah i just put some carbon deck patches but if where you're, you're smart be. about it mm-hmm. and
1: you ha- if you know enough about surfboard construction to use a slightly heavier cloth mm. and put a bit of a patch in it. Or there's some really exciting stuff that some of the Australian manufacturers are doing with new hybrid cloths are actually through there's a company based out of Melbourne called Co LAN. Gotta be careful how you say that. And they L A N Yeah, I've yeah. been
0: watching them too. They've been doing some really good like variety,
1: Mm. like a whole bunch of different forms. Standard Australia are one of their, like they'll sell directly to a board builder, but if you're a backyard hobbyist who wants to try something because you've got some soft foam that you want to work with and you want to reinforce the deck, if you look at the top of the, one with the double stringers, you'll see that it's got one of the the basalt Inegra um, composite weaves and it will... in Like, it doesn't add extra weight because it's no different to a four-ounce cloth for how much resin it holds, but it adds a significant amount of uh, impact resistance. So if you do want to, like, you know, with the egg that I'm looking at at the moment because I got an old male donated to me, I know that I'm going to put some of that composite weave as the bottom layer of cloth on the top. So, I, I can instead of putting just two ounces of sorry, two layers of six ounce and making it a bit heavier, I still will be able to just do a, a layer of this. I think it's three and a half or four ounce composite weave, and then a layer of four ounce over that. So it's no different to a a four four um, traditional board or yeah. like a commercial board. Yeah. But like you know, I talk of, I talk about the limitations being that it might be a bit of soft foam. But I can guarantee that every single 4-4 rack board that you get... Um, it's been CNC'd. That's, it's the same. It's going to have similar the issues. Yeah. And they're not, they're not thinking about putting extra yeah. cloth on the top of them. No, there's, them no there's not even them. a thought process that
0: goes into it. It's yeah. a CNC machine. It's, eating and it's, it's doing whatever, whatever the machine does, and they're just glassing it and moving on.
1: And I'm, I don't have a problem with CNC machines. And I I guess sometimes, you know, I have just done straight-up strip backs where I then go and get into a room, strip it back, pull the glass off, get the planer out and the sand blocks and go to town on it. But I more recently have started looking at doing the strip back, then taking a bunch of measurements off the existing blank and then going on to one of the shape 3D shaping programs and then designing a board that's got the best lines that I can fit into that existing blank, which, you know, some of the purists will be, oh, my God, you're a sinner. Mm. But um, at the same time, I don't feel too guilty about it because of the fact that I'm just trying to create the best product that I can, but I'm creating it from stuff that would either end up in landfill or at the dump shop. Yeah, I think the consumer is pretty
0: comfortable with a CNC board. How do we know that? Uh, because pretty much 95% of the boards on the market now are CNC, and people are happily buying them. Mm. So I mean, there there is dudes that will only buy a hand shaped board, but those dudes are usually older guys that probably came up in the 70s and and have got the mind or the the idea that yeah they want to support their local shaper, they want to buy something that's handmade or hand shaped, and there is a um, a market for both. I think you know. There's there's a market for the CNC board and the, and now there's a market also for the hand shaped board. You know, dudes like Ryan Lovelace, you know, they market themselves on that mm. that their boards are hand shaped. So the, there's guys that are that are doing really well for themselves doing hand shaped boards. But I can t- guarantee you that the majority of anyone that's making boards anywhere in the world is using a CNC machine at some point. Mm. They might be hand shaping a model, making something new, and then. Once they've got it dialed, it's going to be CNC, you know, and and that's a a big chunk of every every board builder, anywhere, you know. There's just I mean, not many mean, people that are handshaping. Maybe so bad about doing it then. Oh, dude, I, I I can tell you now, most of the
1: people here, you'll be surprised, you know. I'm not surprised mm-hmm. because I I've been really lucky to be embraced by everyone from Matt Williams from the factory to Tom Wegner to Nathan at the. Um, the machine shapes out the back here at the back of Coolum. I'm on, weirdly enough, first name basis, relatively, you know, really good, you know, good relationships with these yep. guys. And some of that came through Wiz a while back because he put me on to like Reed Johnson and some of those guys from the, the Little Cove boards up in Noosa. And, and then I guess through a lot of people are making connections through Facebook and the like. But yeah, I, even when I went down to Manly and, the guy from down there, uh, Dan from DJB Surfboards, he let me use his glassing bay and donated me the old snapped mail to make the board down there. Like pretty much everyone is using CNC at some stage of their production. Some of, They are still like looking at hand shaping a few boards here and there. But like if there's people out there that are seriously trying to do it for a commercial, particularly in Australia, if they're trying to do it as a real commercial business rather than just uh as a hobby as a hobby mm. or a, a love sort of mm. thing pretty much all of them are using cnc mm. and i i don't really see a huge issue with it i'm not that much of a purist that i'm like oh it's like it's got to be hand shaped or it's nothing
0: it's yeah not i all. mean even like the with the different methodologies now like a lot of dudes use hot wire machines and and then they'll just sand it down you know mm. they'll have templates i know steve han it, it does that and it just reduces his contact time to to half. You know, and like you said, if you want to try and make a board that, that is competitive and saleable in a in a world where yeah, we are competing with China, where we are competing with you know, with board builders from Bali and, and everywhere else, then yeah, you really do have to sort of figure out ways to make things a little bit quicker, a little bit more affordable, a little bit more efficient,
1: you know. There's been pro um, mm-hmm. machines around since I can remember seeing a uh, thing way back where it was a profile piece on, um, I in a video profile piece on Wayne Lynch, and he had this big thing set up where he had these rocker jigs and he put his blank on the thing, and then he had a router set up with a piece of timber going across it and a big wide bit on it, and he just you know got his stuff on and mowed down you know the the rocker mm. profile to it to a known rocker profile, and then he just did his stuff based off that. So. People have been coming up with ways to mechanise it for years. Like, if you really want to hand-shape something, like, you need to be doing the whole thing with a surf form and yeah, no one's yeah, going yeah. to be doing that. If yeah, exactly. You, I'm using a. I, yeah, I got a planer. You know. Exactly. If you're using one of those accurate planers or mm. a Makita or a, yeah. a Skill mm. um, 100, and or and you're getting out your router for different pieces because you've got a jig and you put a particular thing. That there is a certain. Long. There is a certain feeling to that to shape your own board and to mowing the, the foam. Like I'm still a
0: purist. You know, I've, I've had the CNCs sort of offered to me, and I'm still reneging at this mm. stage because. Um, I don't have enough board orders where I have to fulfill, you know, X amount a week. Mm. I, I just love the feeling of using a planer and hand shaping and just really getting my hands dirty on every inch of that board. And I yeah. feel like that does trend. It sounds a bit hippy-dippy, but it does transcend into the board, I, I believe. And each board is unique and in individual. But, yeah, once again, like you said, it's horses for courses. And maybe if I had 100 board orders in front of me, my fucking motivations would change pretty uh, quickly. You know what like, I
1: mean? But then I'm, so. doing, I'm <laughs> hand shaping as well. Like yeah. I'm hand shaping a bunch of hand planes out there at the moment. I glued together beats of timber and sanded one up, you know, over a, an hour, a couple of hours here and there. And I, I don't, I guess you could do a CNC hand plane if you wanted, but a lot of them, they're doing them with. Uh, injection molding and stuff these days, but yeah, I can remember what the probably the best board I ever surfed that I made myself was. I glued together bits of foam with double cedar strings in it, similar to that one over there, and hand shaped it from scratch. But that that board there is probably coming close to replacing it. Hand glued together from scratch on the front driveway, and then I'd have no shame in saying, yeah, I took that one down from a rectangular prism of foam they run it through the machine and then spent a couple of hours doing all sorts of different processes in between to try and make it what it is today and it's you know so i'm definitely in both camps Mm. i love the idea of hand shaping Mm. and i love the idea of going the other way because Mm. the fact is i'm not doing it as a profession Mm. i've got a full-time teaching job and if i can come up with a few things from a few hours in the evening, really crunch the numbers, mm. make a bunch of measurements, and then... Hand them over. Hand you them can, over. You can knock out a, two or three boards in the time that will take you to make one. No, not to... Like, it's still... I still get so short amount of time to work on stuff that mm. it ends up... Like, I might start a project in september and finish it in february yeah yeah <laughs> but then yeah. i might do three, yeah or four i, I love
0: seeing you know, like I mean. the the progress of of what you're doing too like i know that you reach out a lot i know we were mentioned just before about the vintage board collectors and like backyard shapers and there's a bunch of awesome communities now that are that are that are popping up online and super helpful you know like people asking questions and people helping each other out i um, now you 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 put up a question a, a while ago because obviously yeah you're you're making boards from scrap so you mightn't have like the FCS two tools the routing bit so you're like hey has anyone got one so there's all that extra time that goes into it of chasing that up as opposed to saying well I'm only making this board buying these plugs and and doing this so there's extra time that mm. just goes into it. Into manufacturing that board because you need to chase up that router because yeah. you're not going to go and go and spend 400 bucks on a bloody router if next time you're going to be using FCS or
1: yeah. you know whatever it is. No, so. I totally, mm. yeah. And but the, how good is it that you know I put that up there and Troy, um, who's I think he's up from Backeandina, he calls his boards um, Big Bear Surf like he has that paw print. Yep comes down on a Saturday morning after he takes his kids to soccer or something, turns up on the front lawn and says, here you go. I've been using futures lately anyway, so you can keep it for as long as you want. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, that's like, awesome. So, like, it's his mm. thing, mm. but, like, mm. you know, he's happy for me to use and And, like – It's a cool part of the community where, where
0: people are hooking up. We're hooking up, like – Everyone's sort of linking up. Don't through, actually get that True online Yeah. Uh, like, that's mm, one thing mm, that we're so lucky on mm, the sunny coast, I think, out. It's a good vibe. Yeah. It's not as competitive, like we're not trying to like cut each other's throats and beat each other down by fifty bucks or whatever. Mm. It's like a lot of people are making really nice high end boards and sort of keeping their price point up. There's dudes like Wagner that's working from home in his shed, you know, that's just he's just passionate about making beautiful, sustainable boards. And he's happy to share all everything he knows, all of his knowledge, yeah, and man. that kind of sentiment is just—it's awesome. And I think it transcends and gets passed on to younger crew, mm. and it's a good vibe. It's different to the Gold Coast. It's different to other, you know, surfing communities of Australia, and and, and definitely
1: different to to you know other parts of the world for yeah, sure. I've got to, mm. and, and Tom is just such an outright gentleman. Mm. Like, I'm. I absolutely cannot speak highly enough about him. But then how like in a in an indication of just how nice a guy he is and how much of an open book he is. I introduce him to the kids at school and like you know, in two thousand nine he was Surfer magazine's Shaper of the Year and you know, I just he's doing stuff that is groundbreaking in the surf industry, you know, across the planet. No one's doing exactly what he's doing, he's taking things by the yada yada. He comes up, starts talking to the kids and goes I'm not going to even attempt to do his accent. But yeah, Mm. I'd just like to say to you that, you know, you've actually been introduced. uh, I've actually been introduced by one of my heroes at the moment. Like, I'd just like to say that Adam Baldwin and what he's doing in this and this, Mm. he's one of them. And I just stood there with my jaw sort of just Mm. going, really? Mm. Because I guess you're always your own worst critic. Like, Mm. you don't think of yourself as doing anything that outrageous. But then someone like, him who has been in and out of commercial shaping and in and out of board building for so long, and then you know really pushing the limits for him to say something so complimentary, and mm. then like to back it up by saying, "No, no, I'm serious. Mm. What really?" Da da da. And mm. and I just thought it was the nicest thing I mm. think I'd ever heard. No, he's a, he's a great guy, and like like you said, an open book. And I'm super
0: grateful that that he lives here and that we have this community. But, but it is this, this community draws people in because of the, the nice, chill point waves, and so I think it, it in, invites other people here that have the same sentiment. I mean, I lived down the Gold Coast for five years before I moved to the sunny coast, and I was looking at land from like Byron, Bay to Noosa. You know, I was, I was looking for like three years, looking for land, and eventually I settled in. On where I settled on, I, I found the right sort of block with the right, you know, shed, you know, that suited everything I wanted to do with making boards and this area, I think it draws you in if you have that sort of sentiment as well, you know. It's got a certain vibe to it. It's it's very alluring. So um I guess we'll jump straight on to the next questions. You were just mentioning before we got the podcast Kraken that you're involved with the vintage surfboard collectors.
1: So is one of your mates got a Kraken? You were saying before and Um when I used to make downhill skateboards, hence the—I guess maybe I should mention—if you want to look me up, skatement surfboards, like you're making a statement, but I've got the word skate in the middle of it. But I used to make downhill skateboards, and I was making these composite combinations. You know, someone would ring me up and say, oh, "I'm I'm 110 kilos and want something with zero flex. I like this shape. What can you?" Do? So, are you into your DH as well? Mm. You- I'm not now. Like i no. I've just sort of. Grown out of it, to be honest, and destroying your knee, probably. So where did you, used to, did you used to bomb, like, um, Jindia Drive and places like that? <laughs> yeah, or? I used to do that quite a bit, but yeah. then there was other little times you'd go do little strike missions of steeper ones here and there, but I don't know. It's it's, it's pretty rough. When you hurt yourself riding a skateboard, you are unforgiving. Yourself. Yeah. Yeah, Literally I just, so. actually, funny story,
0: I, I just arrived back from the uh, U.S., and a mate of mine bought one of those electric skaties. I forget the name of them, Evo, or something like that. It's like Australian brand, but they're unreal. And so, yeah, he's like, come on, we'll go out. We're skating around the city. And we went we went to the Botanic Gardens, and we're burning down the... the... Sorry, oh, yeah. just got the dog barking in the background there. It's all good. It's no problem. So, yeah, we're, we're bombing the hill, and, yeah, he's had a big stack, and then I'm, oh, we're flying through the from the city through the valley. I've got this thing just like flat whatever it is 40k an hour or something and we're just sort of flying back into the into the into fortitude valley and the the light turns red or you know orange and i'm like should i should i shouldn't i like no i'm gonna put the hit the brakes you know slow down so yeah if you're going from like 40k an hour to like just slightly trying to tap those brakes like she's all over, and mm. straight over the hangers, just got, like, bark off and <laughs> just eating it. And it would have been so funny. It would have been classic for, like, anyone in the cars just watching, just like, yes, you know. So like watching kook slams. You get a bit of joy out of just watching people get smashed, you know. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd, it would have been
1: great. But, yeah, you do. It's, it's unforgiving, but it's still fun, you know. Just yeah, that. I still ride a skateboard mm. here and there. I've still got a couple. I've got one of my... Uh, like custom boards actually made for someone. I was. Cause I had a few people I made boards for that. Like one guy uh, rode through South America and did like all sorts of things in the Andes, and another guy raced through the the European leg of the World Cup kind of thing. And it's funny. A lot of like they end up getting picked up by other people. Like Rob ended up getting picked up by at the time was Fibertech and then tim's been picked up and rides for ixo and they make these high-end graphite creations but yeah i don't know it's not really there's a hell of a lot of work in it and when i moved the last time i just all my molds and stuff like i can't keep carrying these things around so they're gone i know i can make them again if i want to Mm. um but i have to start from scratch
0: so so with the with those skaties that you were making it was like You'd laminate together like thin layers
1: of like pine or what were you uh, using? Essentially, the biggest issue was finding single layer veneers yep. that were. Uh, I used to, even back then. I was had the you know the environmental thinking because I'd found a company in Ipswich, so I was getting locally produced materials, and I was using white birch and hoop pine because those were the logs that they were able to access. And then I was customising the different composites in between the layers with like different variants of boat building uh, weaves and some carbon fibre, depending on who or how heavy the person was and what they wanted it for. But anyway, back to VSC or the yeah yeah VSC. sorry mate, no, we went, that's went okay. off fucking topic there a little bit. No. Nah. Yep. It, yeah, vintage So yeah, vintage surfboard collectors, you can go. Yeah, and we can go. We go can do whatever we want. And, yeah. See, the reason I went down that direction was that. I was talking, there's a guy called Lee Murphy and he he was actually the dude who went, okay, mate, group, bang. But he and I were talking, uh, just chatting via Facebook. There was an Australian skateboard collector's page and um, I was just chatting to him on there because i just like, is there anything like this for surfboards? We both sort of had a bit of a search around on the Facebook search and on the internet and we were like, no, there isn't. We should make one. So I had a bit of a chat, and I was like, "Okay." So yeah, okay, I'll get onto it tonight. And and next thing you know, he puts it up, and he's like, "Contact." Yeah, okay, I'll you know I'll whack you down as a as the admin. And never met the guy in person. Like he's a really seems like you know he and I have good sort of chats on Messenger every now and then. So you then still haven't I'm to still this not day. met him day. No. Okay, right. So I you guys were
0: both to... like the admin, mm. and you like use chat and stuff, but you've never met in real life. No, That's I never classic. met. That's just like it's just the true. Essence of like the beauty of the of the internet and the connectivity that we have. Yeah, like I got two, some crazy two, stories. Yeah. the
1: shared passion that mm. just were like, yeah, there needs to be something for surfboard collectors. And and next thing you know, it's seven hundred members, and then it's seven thousand members, and then it's seventeen thousand members, and then it's twenty seven thousand members, and now it's like thirty four thousand members. It's got its own sort of. Issues, but mm. take it for what it is. Like you're always going to have nasty people. Yeah, you get it. You get a hundred people. There's always going to be one or
0: two assholes in a hundred people. Mm. You got thirty thousand people. You know, you're still going to
1: have the same ratio of assholes. You know, but I, I find it. It's been really good. Like there was a little bit of angst at one stage with a breakaway, a breakaway copycat kind of group with some people that. Tried and still have been, you know, causing issues. Some other guy registered a business name of Vintage Surfboard Collectors, and then because he'd started a rival group and called Vintage Surfboard Collectors Australia, and uh, yeah, it was
0: just weird. so. What he was trying to lie muscle you out or something, or like take uh, I over think or something. He liked
1: the fact that we were not wanting to make money out of it. Oh, like, so he was trying to make it like commercially viable or whatever. His- He started selling T-shirts. Oh yeah, right. He called himself trying to make a business out of it. Apparently, sent messages to people saying that you know I've now registered the name of your Facebook group as an official business with the Australian blah blah blah. Mm. And I probably shouldn't say anything about it, but it was just strange. But it sort of died away. Like every now and then, people have a bit of a whinge about this particular person. And I just stay out of it because I just don't wanna yeah. ever be caught up in some sort Bullshit. of drama. Yeah. yeah. You summed up mm. you'll notice that I'm fairly careful with my <laughs> selection of words because being a school teacher is like, you know, if you don't feel comfortable with what you say being um, repeated on the front page of the Courier Mail, try not to say it. Yeah, I'd, which is I'd the rule fail that... measurably at being a school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be bloody getting suspended probably still. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I'm, totally I'm useless. Right. I'm from North Queensland. It's Every second word is is um, usually a swear word. So, so yeah, so the vintage yeah, surfboard collectors, I, I didn't actually, when I rolled up to that, I didn't realise that you were involved with, with that. But, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's an awesome thing. It's an awesome community. There's so many good communities, even being from from North Queensland. There's, you know, there's a local community up there called the Cairns Reef Surfers. And same sort of deal, you know, the guy that runs it is very cautious about who he sort of selects and lets people through and tries to filter it. But it's an awesome community of of guys that are now getting together and going and surfing the Barrier Reef, you know. Mm.
1: And so, if there's swell around and they're contacting each other, yeah, guys will walk out, yeah, exactly, pooling their resources. Yeah,
0: and that just never would have existed. It just, it just, you just you don't have that capacity to to interact with that many people. But the vintage board collectors is a great one, and then the backyard shapers is a great one too, because people are like you said, like we were saying before, you put up something about, hey, has somebody got a, a router? All of a sudden, you got somebody dropping you off a, a router that you've probably never met before. Yeah, it's just awesome. I think that's a it's a great sort of aspect, and I've I've been in the same boat where I've had questions, and I've asked dudes over in the states, you know, and, and gotten feedback from from guys like Josh Martin, you know, that are that are renowned board builders over in the legend. states, and people who just help you out, you know, and, and it's fantastic. Just it's very very helpful, and, and it's a great time to be making boards and to be you know to be because like if if you were trying to do what you're doing in like the nineties or early two thousands. I just think that with the way things were, everything everything was just mass-produced, traditional boards. It was all just thrusters, and it was very much like a, a monotony of of boards. And, you know, now it's just it's just opening up and opening up, and the, the spectrum's getting bigger and bigger for what you can sort of get away with and what you can build, and it's just continuing to grow, you and know. And them. even, like, the board collectors thing, you know, like 10 years ago a vintage board was worth nothing mm. you know what i mean like now there's like 30 40,000 people around the world that are like okay but well, this board's worth something you know there's this industry that's sort of, sort of been created
1: from um from guys collecting boards you mm-hmm. know that just didn't exist before it goes through ebbs and flows from my understanding i think there's even been a little bit of a drop off just recently to be honest but um, yeah. so what do you think what do you think motivates that Oh, I think there was people frothing on the idea like probably three or four years ago, and you know everything that was relatively watertight. People were thinking it was five or six hundred bucks worth, but now I think if it's just say a seventies board and it's made by nobody, but it's a pretty nice one, it might be now worth sort of two or three hundred bucks. Yep. But there's still like still bargains to be had, Mm. like and and it's a lot of the time it's just that like. That's actually Lee, the guy I was talking about earlier, was just messaging me last night because he just picked up a lovely little quad, like an 80s quad, and it cost him 80 bucks. Yeah, yeah, uh, there's still definitely, there's
0: there's a board in pretty much every old shed, farmhouse, and you, you wouldn't even know about it. And you sort of just got to be on the hunt. Mm. You, got to, you got to have that little, that nose and that desire to be in, inquisitive and see what's in that shed and knock mm. on that door and ask that question or Go to the dump and sniff around there because there's still boards
1: everywhere. Well, oh, you know? I scored a, a lovely Alan Byrne burning spheres six six by nineteen glass on fins. Got it from the dump for like thirty bucks. Yeah, it had a, a fin that had been replaced, really poor repair job, and you know, nose and and dings on the um the swallow tail. But like, I'll show you it in there. Like, mm. I've actually took it back to Dale Wilson down at Burning Spears and he replaced the fin with an actual properly foiled AB style side fin and actually set it so it's on the right angle and mm. not one sitting like this. And, but, yeah, mm. it was. And and he was really nice too. Like, mm. he's a bloody legend and mm. he was really open and he charged me chicken feed for it because mm. he was excited to see, see the board. The board yeah. And he was like, mm. oh, the guy I made this for was in here just the other day. Geez, I'm sorry. I should have showed him to mm. him. So, like. You know, there's such a mm. an openness in so many of the people that I've met. There's some people that aren't so open and aren't so nice, but I won't talk about mm. the negatives. So I just focus on good people, and they're the ones you want to surround yourselves with.
0: Yeah, when I was at the Board Expo in um, San Diego, it's like the biggest sort of like new board, board expo. Board. Uh, well, it's it's all new boards, so it's everyone presenting, and it's like they have the Shapers Forum, and they have like all different sort of you know, famous shapers coming through, but Randy Rerrick was doing like a appraisal at the back, and so yeah, we got to sort of have a chat with with him, and he was talking about sort of the evolution of how boards of you know the bigger, longer, like nine footers were really popular and, and worth a lot more money, but now it's sort of coming back to the shorter boards from you know the sort of late sixties to through the seventies that are coming more in vogue mm. because you can collect more of them, you can sort of fit more of them in, and. You know, no, dudes really? like you know the Jerry Lopez sort of singles and shit like that are becoming more more valuable than the
1: older sort of bigger nine foot boards and that. From you should see the little five six transition board I've got in there. It's really beat up and needs some love, but I kind of picked it up cheap off a guy from um, Vintage Surfboard Collectors who's actually on the sunny coast. And it's yeah five six real down rails, real sharp. But it's like it's when the shortboard revolution came in and they went smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller with and they sort of made kind of those eggy sort of ones that late sixties to like really early 70s super old bottom got, and shit yeah it's a bit rolled on the nose almost flat like through yeah the pretty middle, flat okay yep. a, re- a really rolled deck mm. but the cool thing about it is like they got down to that five six little length and went oh we need a bit more rail to surf the points because at that stage mctavish and everything was wanting to surf noosa in the past so they started going out into those bluebird thin tail mm. like wide point up front so mm. it's almost like shortboard revolution went down to this point and that board in there it's, it's not, like it's the a, pinnacle of it yeah it's like mm. a ken board so mm. they were based on the goldie, goldie. but yeah, like yeah i got shape, i got one of those as yeah, well that but shape it's more rolled was,
0: bottom mm. like it's more in the pintail super rolled bottom like might have been like late
1: 60s i think and maybe yours by sound of it, it's maybe early I think, 70s i think yeah someone might i think about 71 or something yeah but the yeah, thing is it's yeah. like the boards went shortboard revolution, mm. got to that point, mm. and then they it's changed sh- direction again. So it's like the extreme of the sh- – like the end point of mm. the shortboard revolution. So it's kind of got a bit of a, a soft spot in my mm. sentiment because mm. of that. And not because, it's not shaped by – That doesn't matter a shit, man. I, fancy, I think,
0: like, you got something that's just a cool shape. It's got some channels in it, the twin fin or something, and it just it just shouts that era. Mm-hmm. You know, the 20s. Like, the 20s are back in a big way, you know. I, um, and it's awesome. But, you know, if you get something that's just got fucking two two nice fins in it and a, and a channel on the bottom of it, it doesn't really matter a shit. As long as it's watertight and you can take it for a paddle and, mm. you, you know, you're surfing a bit of
1: history, you know, and that's awesome. Am I allowed to ask you a question? Sure. And I'm maybe I'm off base, but what happened with the McCoys that you made some, like, or you glassed? And painted up some yep. some reproduction ones. Yeah, what yeah. was the story with that? That was a while ago now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like my first sort of eye opener, mm, and mm. that was back with a slightly different branding. From yeah, yeah, yeah. That you, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure if you want to mention. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, what I'm, yeah, with Yeah, the, yeah um, I can I can elaborate. Yeah, I can elaborate on
0: that for sure. So what happened was I started a board building uh, business with my stepfather. So we were always planning to sort of to work together and develop the business and and sort of grow it. So he was making boards up North and then I started building boards down here on the sunny coast. So we we got everything cracking. We started doing a bit of clothing and just as you do, you sort of try and start building the business. Mm. And yeah, so he got hooked up with McCoy and started doing some beautiful boards with McCoy. And yeah, I, I, as far as I know, Jeff's still got those boards. I don't know if he's he's sort of asking top dollar for them on those remakes. So I'm not sure if he's sold any or if he's still sitting on them. But my guess is, is that he's probably still got a, a bunch of them sitting there because he was asking like super top dollar. Like I think like starting price was like four or five grand per board. Mm. But yeah, beautiful boards. So like, those classic real yeah. lasers app. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like the original lasers app outline and beautiful. So what happened was um, actually my. My mother and and stepfather separated. stepfather sort of just distanced himself from the business, you know, walked away essentially, so yeah that, that's essentially what happened. so I, as far as I know, they're still collaborating. Mm. so my stepfather's still doing some boards with Jeff and that sort of thing, and
1: yeah, I wish them all the very best. I Anything wish him the like, best and It would have been cool to be out like once again, like mm. be able to meet someone like Jeff McCcca yeah and have yeah it it was, was awesome. Share. yeah, yeah mm
0: thoughts and concepts yeah no no we we spent a bit of time together and yeah it was it was yeah awesome just to sit down and have a chat with Jeff and just talk I'm I'm like just a a real enthusiast of of just hydrodynamics and and talking to Jeff about hydrodynamics and that sort of thing is you know one of the innovators of the shortboard era was was just cool you know his sort of spin on it and how things work and why they
1: work and yeah, no, it was cool. And some of his like thoughts that are like almost anti concaves and he talks about those the rolled bottom mm. around the fin mm. and how that creates mm. a more maneuverability in mm. a single fin. Like when I did a lot of a bit of reading where he was doing those bit more eggy sort of yeah. shapes. But mm. and basically he was referring to them as like an old boys performance board. Mm like because you could be a bit more sort of back in the driver's seat and then get a bit more pivot from that central roll, mm. almost like a s- upside-down spoon in the, the back around the fin. Yeah, well, his his whole notion was he took this
0: traditional surfboard of that time, spun it around, put fins on the, on the nose, and back then the wide point was further forward. So essentially you put the wide point back on the back foot so then there was no more like stepping Stepping and, and manoeuvring or moving on the board, it was mm. like all your power, all your drive, is off the back foot. And yeah, I mean, I've made boards with that wide point further back, and yeah, it works fucking incredibly. Like y- you got all of that sort of volume and float on on the back foot, so all your drive and manoeuvrability is is on the back foot. So it, it works, you know. So I mean- he, you know, he's onto something. Obviously, he was a, a super you know, intelligent guy and way ahead of his time and, and very innovative. And, yeah, he, he talks a lot about, like, a saucepan, you know, how does a saucepan manoeuvre and how does that sort of rotate and turn and, you know, how how does that work on the face of a wave, you know? So, yeah, he, he does talk a lot of, you know, it, it was very interesting to spend time with Jeff and I learned a lot. Yeah, I, I'm actually, I'm excited too. I'm pretty stoked to just be independent and to be doing my own thing and to be to sort of cutting my own path now. Mm. I, I feel as though there was a lot of pressure for me to to try and perform or do things a certain way because of the influence of, mm. of those sort of guys that, are, that were incredible guys, and, and I'd learnt a lot, you know. But I'm also excited just to be sort of doing my own thing and yeah, just having no, my own sort cool. of, you know, a little bit of a – Cut my own path, you know what I mean, and and sort of heading in my own direction with no pressure, and oh, I've I, I got a a, a a lot of joy for that as well, you know. Yeah, we're we're heading up north, we're heading to Cairns for a few months. We've been travelling around the USA and Mexico for the last eight months, so I haven't had a lot any time to shape any boards. But yeah, as soon as I get back, man, I'll be setting my shed back up and hooking. Up there or down, nah, here? down here, down here. Yeah, how long are you going to cancel? I'll be up there for a few months, so three or four months. We'll spend time with family up there, and yeah, we'll we'll get a bit of cash back in the bank, and then we'll we'll um get back down and hook hook back in. But actually, sort of the, the reason why I'm super interested in in what you do. And, and build stuff out of recycled materials is because I, I do a lot of the same shit. You know, like I built a, a cabin in my backyard. The trees that I cut down were trees that were too close to the house. You know, I milled the, tim- the timber up. I used the timber, collected a lot, a lot of construction materials from working in the industry. So you, as you know yourself, it's just mind-blowing. So wasteful. It's so, it's, well, okay, so the, the, the general notion of construction is 10%. So 10% is allowed for waste. So if you've got a million-dollar build, 10%, $100,000 is going to get thrown out of a million-dollar build. That's just how it is. You know, the bigger the build, the more that's going to be thrown out, you know. So, I mean, being there and just having the the mindset that I have of, like, always putting my hand up and just taking this and that, like, collecting beams, collecting, you know, aluminium windows and, like, when yeah, one day when you get some time you'll have to come down and check my house out but pretty much everything i've built at home is from recycled materials. materials exactly yeah. dude and and i just get so much joy from that and everywhere i look in my yard it's it's from stuff that that we've that we've sort of developed and, and built from waste essentially mm. so yeah i'm going to continue to do that for the rest of my life i love doing
1: it get back in start making some boards and keep the ball rolling yeah no it's exciting i mm. i look i look forward to when you're coming back because then we can. Um, I wouldn't mind catching up and spending some time making some foam dust.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, well, like even if it's just glass. And, and my doing, yeah, my my facilities are open to you, bro. I'm, I I have a full shaping facility, but I'm gonna I'm gonna build a two another new shaping room, so I'm gonna have two shaping rooms. And then i got a 40-foot shipping container, which is going to get converted into me glassing room. I love doing timber furniture and stuff, like the resin timber furniture I love doing too. So that'll be something else that I'll sort of be toying with. And with the cabin being built, we want to do a bit of board education, similar to what Tom's doing. So mm. people come and stay. You know, learn to make their own board. Even like I love making skaties too. Like I've I've made a few of my own downhill skaties. I love doing that. But I want to be able to facilitate whatever somebody wants to come and do. You know, whether you skate, whether you surf, in the back of glass glassing room, I'm going to put a um a photo developing room. So yeah, you, you can be a, you can come and stay with us, and if you want to develop photos, you can come and develop photos. You know, and just be able to facilitate whatever somebody wants to do on that given day, on that given week, and And provide support and a bit of knowledge and and after a week of somebody staying with us they can walk away with a surfboard or a skateboard or some some beautiful
1: black and white photos Mm -hmm. that they develop themselves so yeah that's the mm. the photo thing's cool because tanya my fiance she when we first came back to the coast after doing country service she was at a school on the coast that had a uh photography fine art sort of thing it's no longer there with the the push towards digital but mm. she was well that's that's what got me into it
0: dude was like doing multi-strand science when i was like 15 or 16 we i did a term of it and i just fell in love with it mm. you know so I've, I've done it a few times over in new york when i was there jumped into a photo developing room over there and you know so every time i'm, I'm on holidays i'll take a film camera i'll shoot it i'll get the, the film develop developed it's... and then yeah develop the photos dude and it's yeah. it's just there's it's that pure joy it's the same as shaping a board to me because you can almost see it's it like old school hearing the same as when you're shaping a blank and you're shaping that shape into it and you're imagining water sort of flowing over it it's the same as as developing a photo and like you said the chemical reaction and watching this photo kind of come to life mm. you know so it, there's a there's a similarity i think in in hand shaping to photo developing or making your own board or hand making your own your own stuff it's like growing your own veggies or any of that shit, it tastes better. It surfs better. The photo looks better on your wall, you know, because it's just something that's that's real,
1: you mm. know, that you put your hand to. So, no. very exciting. I sounds like you got a good setup. Almost looking forward to you coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> definitely, man. Yeah, like I said, open door to you anytime you want to come out. Is there anything else that you you wanted to sort of mention or like that you want to leave the listeners with or?
1: I could get really almost super cynical on and hippy feely, but I don't yeah, know. go for it. Let's do um, it. Try and think about the plastic in your life and cut it out as much as humanly possible. Like, I'm sorry if you buy if you buy a drink in a plastic bottle, shame. <laughs> you know what's awesome is we went away to the US, man, and it's just that
0: single use fucking plastics is just devastating. And we come back and it's like, oh yeah, no, we're not, you know, the the plastic bag thing in this in Australia, and it's just like, I'm stoked, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a little gesture, but it's awesome. It's like,
1: yeah, that's great, you know, they're they're trying to cut out the the plastic bags, and, and I just I just mm-hmm. want people to take it seriously, like from your coffee cup to your plastic bag, like don't just go to the thing and say, oh, it's, it's only fifteen cents, I'll buy six plastic bags and throw them out. That's not the point of it. Don't. Don't go out and buy coffee. Buy yourself a thermos. Take hot water and a little plunger. And if you do want to buy a coffee, like try and do it minimally. Like yeah, well, well, like my wife loves buying her coffee. That's like her thing. She's Does from she... the states.
0: She loves it. So she actually bought a a little a cup, keep cup, a keep cup. So now, like on Saturday, Sunday, she she takes it to her. To a little coffee girl at her backers and how Valentina easy, like makes her coffee, and it's just in a coffee that a cup that we just wash and we reuse every time, and it's awesome, you mm. know. And and that mindset
1: is fucking great, and yeah. that's what we need to keep doing. You and know? like you can change your attitude, like even like this sounds like even when I have leftover food, like I don't we don't put it on a plate and put it on Glad wrap, like we put it in a glass container with a lid and shove it in the fridge, like. Mm. I know we still use a bit of Glad Wrap here and there, but like compared to you know the attitude of the past of you know Glad Wrap as everything, none bloody works anyway. Because I, I swear they, some marketing guru said, "How can I sell more Glad Wrap? Just don't make it stick as well." <laughs> um, a bit like you know, how do I sell more deodorant? Mm. Put a bigger like ball on the mm. end of it. How do mm. I sell more toothpaste?
0: Put a bigger hole in mm. the end of the toothpaste. Yeah, make make a smaller packet, and then bloody. um we will sell more of them. <laughs> Seen that happen over the years. Yeah, so I don't mm. know. I try and no, that's good advice, though, hey, man. Yeah, it's good advice. Like we shop at Urbackers, and we just try and get our fruit and veg local, purchase locally. Mm. And I, I that that conversation travels a lot through my podcast. Is is how do you minimize your impact, and what are you throwing out, and, mm. and make note of it. Um, and I think that's good advice. I don't think it's hippy dippy anymore. I think that's mainstream information, man. And I think it's sort of seeping through. And I think the kids are becoming more aware. And then and the kids are like educating the the adults, you know, a lot these days. I get. But as sad. a school teacher, actually, what what's your opinion on that? Um,
1: it's quite depressing because I walk around the school grounds and I see the attitude which of disrespect to the environment, and it's not with every kid, and there's a few of them. Like, we're doing a unit at the moment where we're doing research into actually reducing plastic pollution in the But, like, but it is their parents too, right? Because if
0: the parents are buying them these fucking disposable, throw out little plastic muesli bars and shit, mm. What, and, what's the and, kid going
1: to do? Go hungry, or well, they got to eat this thing? Yeah, but, but they then don't they just have discard to throw it. it on the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's the bit yeah, that yeah. really disappoints mm. me. Like, mm. we're at Koolen Beach High School, mm. and it's a beautiful school. We're surrounded by state uh, forest, mm. and we're like what twelve hundred meters from the beach, mm. and we're constantly, you know, if I if I walked from one classroom to the other. And if I stopped to pick up every single piece of plastic that I saw on the ground, every time I walked somewhere, I'd have to leave 20 minutes before my
0: lesson. Do you think it's like, it's serial, like, fucking litterers, it's the same people that are just doing it all the time, or it's pretty much just everyone? Like, it's like a cultural thing, or like, what what is it that, that makes kids just go, fucking, I'm just going to
1: chuck it, you know? It's just laziness. Mm. It's just there's a culture in that young kids at certain, like they'll value their friends and stuff at different points and they'll value their family, but they're also such victims of the capitalist machine Mm. as in like everything from monster energy drinks to mini chocolate bars to, tiny teddies by the 12-pack, you know, plastic on plastic on plastic on plastic on plastic. Mm. And we make something, we make products that are designed to be used for between 30 seconds and 30 minutes. That's crazy. We we make it Mm. out of a product Mm. that's been chemically designed to last for hundreds of years. 3,000 years, and it doesn't actually, you know, it lasts for 3,000 years and continually breaks up into smaller and smaller pieces. Doesn't actually degrade into its chemical components; mm. just gets smaller and smaller. Yeah, not of with it. these microplastics in the ocean. Mm. And, yeah, and because that's where it ends up ultimately in the ocean. And then, exactly, and then, and fish then it, fucking every other, other whale that goes and, into the ocean gets latched onto these things because of the fact that they're like chemical sponges, and then the fish come along and eat that thing. And the whole concept of magnification through the food chain means that the smallest little organism is eating these microscopic little bits of plastic, and then they're just being incorporated into the fats of the next thing in the food chain, and the next thing in the food chain, and the next thing in the food chain, and, the the food chain. and then you go and catch yourself a nice brim or a, a mackerel. It's got plastic in its guts. Yeah, it's crazy, huh? Yes. And we we're, like we're we're
0: eating the shit that. Yeah, it ends up back in our guts, you know. So we're eating the plastic,
1: ultimately. Like, in, if human beings still exist in 100 million years' time, there'll be some paleontologist somewhere that will be drilling core samples into the ground, and the core samples won't be black films of asteroids that have hit the planet. They'll be... There'll be a core sample where, in 100 million years' time, they will pick up this layer of plastic. Now, it'll be in small bits, but it'll be from sedimentary rock that's developed on the bottom of the ocean somewhere. It'll be compacted together with all the shell grit and other stuff that makes that sedimentary rock, and it'll be a geological time stamp of stupidity. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Great. Good that's it. that's it a that's a that's a great way to end it. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So yeah, no, definitely. Be be aware of what you're consuming and how you're consuming it, and and don't think that the it's too big. It's like it's too big for me. I can't I can't handle all those problems. Yeah, you can. Everyone can make a decision, like you said about what you're purchasing, how you're purchasing it, who you're purchasing your surfboard from, you know, who you're purchasing your bloody beer from, you know. Um, is it coming locally? What size of and, and what are you purchasing in? Does it have a plastic wrapping? All those things you can make a choice, mm. you know. And if we as, in, as individuals continue to make the right choice, it, t- it sends a message to people that are trying to sell us shit, for one, and they're going to improve the way that they sell us things. And it also improves our
1: our waste as as individuals. Mm. So, you know, it, it's a win-win. We can change the attitude collectively. We've got some chance of success. Yes. It needs to be collectively. All right, Adam, thank you
0: so much for your time. Appreciate it. We'll catch up soon, no doubt, and be making some boards together by the sound of it sounds good look forward to it cool good on you mate thanks on thank you